right, kick it off a new series called Zip It. Everyone's like, oh, great. The number of people said, oh, so we're going to talk about what we say, huh? And yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So, uh, yeah, we, we talk too much, right? I mean, today we've got uh, talk radio, and we got sports talk, you got news talk. My pet peeve, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, I want to have God's word, right? So I, I, I have Christian music. So I get in the car, I hit on Christian music, and what do I hear? The DJ talking and giving me incredible wisdom. I don't want your wisdom, I want the music that I came for. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of one of my pet peeves. I would, we've got a thing, um, we're so excited to have a car that's newer, uh, 2008. So it's really new. And uh, it's so great because you can go through and just hit a button, it goes to the next preset. So all my presets are Christian music. And so I just go to the one that's not talking at the time. Um, and don't, you know, let's get started with podcasts. Everybody, who listens to podcasts? All right, yeah, so we have something. And it's funny because I always have people come up to me and say, oh, have you heard this podcast? If you have listened to this guy on podcasts, and I'm thinking, when do you have time to listen to a podcast? You know, I'm working. I don't want to, I'm studying the Bible. You know, I'm not listening to what some guy's telling me about the Bible. I'm supposed to study it. They say there's over 2 million podcasts currently currently going worldwide. And everybody's listening to podcasts. Now, the Babylon Bee has done some really good research, and they did. They found Steve, and he is the last person who does not have a podcast. So um, it's good to know that the Babylon Bee is on it and working it. By the way, if you want some good Christian satire, uh, the Babylon Bee is a satire um, site. Uh, pretty funny. They also do a thing called Not the Bee, and what they put up is stories from around the world um, that you would think was satire, but it's actual real stories of what's going on in our world. So anyway, a little free uh, information there for you. We're not going to be talking about podcasts this morning, but we are going to be talking about what we talk about, uh, the words that we use every day. So Pastor Tim passed on some information for us this week, which I really appreciated. And uh, so I got them up on the screen. So a fifth of our time uh, in our day is communicating, uh, talking with people. That's not including texts, which is how most people communicate today, or email. How I guess now most old people communicate today. Uh, just some free advice. I gave it to the 9 o'clock service. I'll give it to you guys. Uh, I would uh, strongly recommend not using texts and emails to deal with personal issues, uh, working through uh, personal, they're really, really meant for just kind of passing the information along. Um, it says that men average about 20,000 words a day. Women average between 30 and 50,000 a day. So, you know, they say men and women are alike. Well, not with the number of convers- you know, kind of words that we use every day. We're quite a bit different. And you can also tell maybe where, if you're in a marriage where the tension could be. Because the guy gets home and he's done. He's already used 20,000 words. Um, and the wife's come home and she probably used 20,000, but she's got you know, another 10 to 15 that she needs to use. And so you're the one who gets to hear that. And again, we talk about sacrifice and loving each other and all that kind of stuff. 
And that's, uh, it says 66 books of 800 pages each year. So, uh, yeah, we, we talk a lot. We use words a lot. And it's not just in what we say or how we say things to people, but it's what we say to ourselves. And then oftentimes, I think we would agree, we just need to zip it. So we want to talk about the fact that uh, today that words are powerful. Um, what we say to ourselves, what we say to others, how we say things um, are, are powerful. In fact, King Solomon, all the way back in the Old Testament, wisest man who ever lived, says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, our words. And those who love it, those who love to talk, will eat its fruit. In other words, what's produced is either life or death. Our words are powerful. James says much the same thing in chapter 3. We're going to look at that today, so you can turn there if you like. James chapter 3. Um, it's page 1209 there for using the Bible in the seats. Uh, and as you do, let me uh, just remind us what the purpose of James's letter is. It's always good to go back and remember, okay, why did this author you know, write this letter to this particular audience. And so James is all about um, laying out for those who profess to know Christ, because a lot of people say they're Christians. But what James is doing, he said, okay, those of you who say you're already Christian, those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what God says a true Christian looks like. This is how a true Christian goes through, and then he kind of covers a bunch of real practical everyday scenarios, both in individuals' lives and the life of the church, and says, hey, here's, here's how a life looks. See, what happens a lot of times is people want to say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a member of the church. And so people, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, how do you know? Well, I'm a member of a church. Well, the Bible doesn't say membership in a church is what saves you. Or a person, well, I've been baptized. Well, again, Scripture doesn't teach that um, a per- person who's baptized, that's what saves them. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. And then once that relationship is established, once we're uh, forgiven by God and we have God the Holy Spirit in our lives and then we're adopted into his family, now our lives, how we live our life, how we interact with people, the choices we make will prove, show others and ourselves whether we're truly saved or not, whether we truly place our faith in Christ. So we want to look at this morning from James 1 through 12, just some, some general truths. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to deal with some of those um, specific things that we saw up on the screen about how that plays out. So let me go ahead and read this morning. I, I've got a little bit of a, a sinus cold going. I, I was being, you know, a good, faithful, sacrificial, loving husband. <clears throat> and uh, my, uh, we were cleaning out our shed and we were organizing it. And there was this old like area rug, a big oval. And so I started cutting through it, but it was woven. So then I realized as I was cutting it, it just kind of pulled apart. So I'm standing in the backyard and I'm just pulling this thing. It's, you know, pulling it apart so I can get it into my trash can. But while I'm doing it, just years and years of dust is just blowing in my face because the wind is swirling. And then the next day I'm like, <clears throat> and I got this going. So I'm fist bumping today. I'm trying to stay away from people. You guys are in a bad spot, but we you know whatever. We can, get, can we get some bags for these guys? I can just kind of, you know. Anyway, so here's what James says. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, and he means brothers and sisters there, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. 
For we all stumble or we sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So we this idea that, man, if, if we could just control our words, we could actually control our body, our actions, you know, the things that go on in our lives. Go ahead, next one. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. So here's one of the great things that could happen. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. It's getting pretty uh, straightforward here. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless or uncontrollable evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig, a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So, as, as teachers often do, they kind of give out some free advice. Um, and so he gives out some free advice as he starts off here saying, hey, listen, don't pursue wanting to be a teacher of the Bible. Because those who teach Scripture, they stand before God and there'll be a stricter judgment for them. Which makes sense because we're the ones who are you know, in God's Word each and every day. We're studying it. We're knowing it. We're able to answer people's questions and you know, we should know Scripture better than, than most people just because we're in it a lot. And therefore, we know more, which means that we should live more faithfully than maybe the, the average follower of Christ would. And so we have these, this stricter judgment on us because we know more, we should be living better. But then he goes on and he starts talking to all of us. And his, his first point here is, again, is some general truths that we're going to work through is that our words are powerful. We sin, as he says, in, in many ways, especially in what we say, the, the words that we say. Now, one of the things that we, I think, sometimes fail to forget, and, and what I'm trying to remind us, too, as we go through this, he's not just talking about, the next several weeks, we're going to talk more about our interactions with others, but I think it's understand, we need to understand that, first, it starts with us. See, when, when we think, we're actually talking to ourselves. Talking to yourself is thinking, in most cases. I know some people just start talking to themselves. They're not thinking. I'm not sure what they're saying, but it's not thinking. But primarily, when we're, when we're thinking, we're actually talking to ourselves. When we're working through issues, when we're thinking about what people have said to us and how we should respond back to them. And so we have a tendency, you know, we think about what we need to say, and then we say what we're going to say, and oftentimes, what we're thinking is wrong, it's sinful, it's not accurate, it's not biblical, and then what we say is the same thing. It's, it's not biblical, it's not helpful, it's sinful, it actually hurts, and we'll talk about that more as we go through this. And so, 
We think first before we respond, whether it's responding verbally or responding uh, physically. It says that only a perfect person won't stumble in what they say. Now, when we read that, we're all like, oh, phew. okay, I'm off the hook then. Because only perfect people are supposed to do that. And so I don't have to. And so I, you know, I'm done. I'm going to check out here. I'm going to get, you know, check on whatever you need to check on on your Facebook or whatever. Now, we, we have to understand something. When the Bible talks about, again, James is talking to Christians. And when the, when the, the Bible talks about Christians and perfect, it's not, it's not saying that it's a perfect person, a person who never sins. There's only one person who's ever lived that way. It's talking about Christians who, because they have placed their faith in Christ and they have God the Holy Spirit living in them, that, that they are now complete or they have the ability to be morally um, right, to have a, a moral character or to, to mentally think right. Again, not being perfect 100% of times, but we're, uh, maybe a better way to put it is that we're moving towards spiritual maturity. Now, what's spiritual maturity? Now, spiritual maturity is just your willingness to work, do the hard work of making sure that you're sinning less and less. Again, knowing that we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. And so you put the work in. So how that works is, even maybe this morning, we're sitting here, we're hearing God's word, and I'm trying to break it apart for you, and you're realizing, oh man, I, I really kind of, I've messed up with what I think or what I say. Okay, good start. It's got, that's got to happen. A spiritually mature person, a person who's moving towards spiritual maturity, realizes, because God's Holy Spirit convicts us, that hey, there's something wrong. Okay? But they don't just stop there, because the tendency is for us to think about what we've done wrong, and to continue to think about what we've done wrong, the words that we say to ourselves, and now we start beating ourselves up. Now we start kicking ourselves. Now we start telling ourselves why we shouldn't be doing that and how bad, you know, pretty soon we're a wreck. You know, a spiritually mature person experiences the conviction, then confesses it. God, I know this is wrong. I realize this is wrong. And then repents of it. And repenting is turning away. So it's, you know, Paul talks about the old putting off sin and putting on what God wants you to do. So you get into God's word. You find out what, how you, spo- you should be doing life. And then you ask him to give you the strength to do it. And you have this working partnership with God where he shows you where change needs to happen. You confess it and then you repent. You get into God's word and you start working on it. And you begin to, and you continue that. You're never going to be perfect. This side of heaven. But a spiritually mature person, no matter where they're at in their journey, is always moving forward and continuing to grow. And so... As we work through these things this morning, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, a Christian this morning, you have the ability, not in and of yourself, but because of God the Holy Spirit and God's Word, to be perfect, to be spiritually mature, to respond with your words under control by God, so that what comes out of your mouth, the actions that you take with physically, will be under the control by God. And so, yes, he's speaking to everybody here who's a follower of Jesus Christ. So James uses these illustrations, a bit with a horse, a rudder, and a sheep, uh, ship. Um, you know, sheep don't have rudders. Sorry, okay. They may have udders. No, that's a cow. But that's besides the point. So 
a rudder in a ship to show how small things control something that's much larger or more powerful. And so like the ship, uh, the, the pilot of the ship or the rider of the horse, they have control of what they're steering and they can choose whether to take it in a bad direction or in a, in a good direction, right? So the same thing is true for us. For instance, so like with um, the rider of the horse, it could be Paul Revere. And he knows that the British are coming, right? So he hops on this powerful horse and he takes off and it's for good. It's to warn the, the colonists that, hey, the British are coming. We need to get ready to fight. And so we would say that's good. Or it could be Billy the Kid. He hops on his big horse and he goes running around the West and he's shooting up people. He's stealing stuff from banks. I mean, this guy is, is bad and he's doing bad. Or it could be the, the pilot of a ship. The, the pilot could be in a ship that's going to rescue people in a sinking ship. And so they're doing all this good of saving people and getting people into their boat so they can be safe. Or it could be Johnny Depp, the pirate. Okay, that did not go over. The 9 o'clock service, they didn't nail that. Have you not been listening to the important news? <laughs> Jack Sparrow is Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, Logan, please. <laughs> the, the, the person piloting the boat could be a pirate. Let's get back on track. The pirate. But he could be boarding another ship in order to steal what they have and kill those that are on that boat. It could be used for good or bad. And what he's saying is that our tongues, when he says they boast of great things, I, I, I believe that's what he's saying here. Now, this is kind of an interesting phrase that he uses. I want to break it down quickly. Um, and I also want to say, what I'm about to say is not a thus saith the Lord. Okay, uh, There are a lot of things that the Bible directly tells us, but this is a phrase that's it's just kind of confusing a little bit because of the, the words that he uses. Oftentimes, James will use words that aren't used anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, and this is one of those words. So when we use the word boast, he uses a Greek word that this is the only place that it's found in the Bible in this verse. James uses the word boast in other places, but this is the only time he uses this particular Greek word. I even went to my... Um, I've got a set of dictionaries that talk about ancient Greek, but like how the secular, the non-church people use it. And I couldn't even find the word in there. And so it's a very unique word, but it, all, it means uh, boasting or pride. Now, anytime the Bible uses the concept of boasting and pride, and they use a, it typically uses a different word, it can be, typically it's negative, but it can also be positive. So James, in chapter 1, verse 9, he uses it in a positive way. And in chapter 4, uh, chapter four he uses it in a negative way. When Paul uses this other uh, Greek word for boasting and pride, he uses it in a positive way. He talks about boasting in, in God, boasting in Christ. That would be a positive. But he also uses it in a negative way of boasting in ourselves or boasting in our works. And then he goes on to talk about, so boasting in great things. So these are the things that we can do. So, that, so taking this all together, this is how I'm kind of laying this out as I understand it. Because again, it, it kinda, some commentators and I would disagree on it. They're really taking this as a negative, and I'm taking it more as a neutral by saying this. 
that our, our tongues, our, our words, the words that we choose to think and the words that we choose to put out can do great things. Like Proverbs say, you bring death or it could bring life. That's some great things. But it's how we choose to use them. Just like the, the rider of the horse and just like the, the pilot of the boat can go in good or bad directions. They can do great, great things in the sense of not necessarily good things, but impactful things. Well, we can do impactful things for good or for bad with the words we think and the words we use. It all depends on who's controlling the tongue. Now, from this point um, forward, James is talking about what happens when we choose to control our tongue, when we don't allow God to control our tongue, but we control our tongue. So this is where now he's kind of shifting back and going, okay, here's the problem when we try to control our tongues. And the first thing he says is, our words destroy that's the first thing he talks about. And he uses the illustration of a fire and that of a poisonous snake, basically. So he says the tongue is a fire. And he kind of he breaks it down as to what that looks like. You can go to the next slide. So the tongue is a fire. It says the very world of iniquity. That, world, that word world is cosmos. And we think of cosmos. But uh, in the Greek, it's cosmos. And it can mean several things. But what it means here is it's the sum total of our sin. And again, if we think about the fact that we're, it's our thinking, the words we say to ourselves, this makes complete sense because where does sin start for us? Our, where does sinful actions or sinful words start? starts here, right? In our minds. What we think, what we say to ourselves. And so whatever sin you can think about, whatever sin there is, whether it's an individual sin or sin towards somebody else, it starts with what we're saying to ourselves. So it's the very world of iniquity. He says it defiles the entire body, which means to stain or discolor. So no matter how attractive you are as an individual, no matter how attractive your life might be to other people, if you're a person who spews out lies, if you spew out gossip, if you're constantly getting angry and yelling and insulting the only thing people see is this stain-filled life. The ugliness that comes with sinful thinking that is produced and then comes out in sinful responses. He goes on to say, it sets on fire the course of our life. That word course literally means wheel. But what he's talking about here is just, a, just the ongoing events and circumstances of life. As you go through life, you interact with people. As you go through life, you experience circumstances. And so, if we are in control of the words we say to ourselves, and if we're in control of the words we say to others, as we interact with people, we light the match. When we're in control. When we go into circumstances and situations and respond, we light the match. And we've seen this, right? We've, been, we've all been involved in these kind of conversations. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional, but we'll say something because we think it's the thing that needs to be said at the moment, and then, whoo, there's a flash, and it's on. And there's anger, and there's frustration, and there's insults, and there's threats. We set on fire the course 
of our life when we're in control. And then he says, man, listen, that's set on fire by hell. And the hell is actually the word Gehenna, which means the, the everlasting fires of hell. He's trying to make the point, listen, you guys, this is how Satan thinks. This is how Satan responds. If you're a follower of Christ, it has no place. We're here later on. It has no place in your life. That's how people follow Satan would respond, not those who follow God. Well, then he continues to kind of impress on us how destructive uh, this uncontrolled word in the sense of not allowing God to control it. When we're in control, he says a tongue is a restless evil, it's full of deadly poison. The word restless in means to be, it's unable to be controlled. And what he means, it's unable to be controlled by us. God can control it if we give him that, but it's un, uncontrolled by us. And it's full of deadly poison. That literally means death-bearing venom. Our tongues, kind of like a snake, which is interesting because he just got done talking about set on fire by hell, which is referring to Satan. Satan in the garden as a serpent. We've all been around snakes, right? A little forked tongue comes out. Comes back in. Comes back in, right? Tim loves snakes, by the way. We were in Nebraska years ago when we lived out in Nebraska, walking around this lake, and my parents were out, and there's a bull snake. And a bull snake eats rattlers, so you want them around, but they kind of look like a rattler. And so, anyways, oh, look at this bull snake. It was, you know, probably about that long. Oh, so Kim picks it up. Oh, look, and she's, you know, petting it and stuff. And we're like, hey, you know, hey, one, you know, just maybe, you know, my mom, she's freaking. All right, she just doesn't know what to do with herself. And she's like, Satan. No, she didn't do that. But <laughs> so, anyways, so she put it down because it bit her. You know, so it throws it back down. And I said, you know, had you not picked it up, you wouldn't have got bitten. So I don't, I don't know. But anyways. So this deadly poison, this death-bearing venom, when, when a snake bites, it hits at a certain point. But then what happens to that venom? It doesn't stay there. It gets into the bloodstream and it goes through the entire body. And he's saying, listen, what we say to ourselves, the sinful, wrong thinking that we say to ourselves is like being bitten by a death bearing snake and it penetrates our entire body, our hearts and our minds. I'm talking about necessarily our physical body, though it will come out oftentimes in our physical body and choosing to do the sin that we're being convicted of or choosing responding to somebody that, how we shouldn't. When we, when we say something to somebody else and it's just like and that sinful thing we've said to that person that goes into their and into their hearts and into their minds and it's going through them, and they're struggling with that, and it's hurtful. This is also referring to the church as a body. And so when we interact with each other, what happens to our entire body? That word gets passed around. We're talking about gossip in a couple of weeks. But then all of a sudden, it starts impacting the body of Christ, the spiritual family. And it all comes back to Satan. Again, it's just a great picture of what happened in the garden. Satan, who's filled with sinful thoughts and words and actions, he, he speaks to Eve. And then what does Eve do? 
It tells us she began to look and to think. And her thinking was what she thought. She was perfect at the time. But she was looking at the the fruit and she was thinking about, wow, it is a good-looking fruit. She started thinking the wrong things about that fruit in a sense of it was actually feeding her temptation to do life her way. And because she was thinking wrong in that sense, she was doing the thinking, not going back to what God had said, she took it and she ate it. And she gave it to Adam and he ate it. And that sin has permeated throughout mankind to this day and will continue until Jesus Christ comes back. And it's not only permeated mankind, but it's permeated creation. So when we control our words rather than God, we will destroy ourselves and we will destroy others. Now, how do we destroy ourselves? There's two, two ways that we do this. Number one, we destroy ourselves by rationalizing. So God tells us in his word what we're supposed to do. We have a pretty good idea of what he wants us to do, how he wants us to respond, how he wants us to think. But then we're like, yeah, yeah, but you don't realize the needs I have. Or no, you don't realize what the person has done to me. You know, you don't, and so you have this, you start rationalizing what you're being told by God to do. And then you act on that. Well, that's, you're ending up destroying yourself. That's where addictions come from. That's where destroyed relationships come from. That's where just, well, the next thing is that we believe our lies. Which, when we believe our lies, that will lead into depression, that will lead into fear, that will lead into anxiety. Guys, I hit this all the time. Because I think for Christians, we need to nail this. We need to understand this. Where do, where do our actions come from? We, we act upon what we think. We respond based off of what we think. And, and our tendency is that we, we begin to believe what we're telling ourselves. We will voice our opinions to ourselves about what we should be doing in our lives. No matter what God says about it, we're going to say, no, I know better. And so then we start dwelling on that. And we start thinking about that. And we start building our life upon it. We make choices based off of that. One sin after another, building our lives up higher and higher on, on basically sin. Because it's opposite of what God says. What opposite of God says is a sin. And so we dwell on them, we rehearse them, we allow the venom to just go through our hearts and our minds. And eventually our bodies will respond to that. You know, God created our bodies to respond to fearful situations. God forbid we ever have an active shooter in here. But I guarantee you, if somebody comes through, and I'm always keeping my eyes open, by the way, if somebody comes through and we hear gun sh- gunfire, Every single one of us will be afraid. We will respond in fear, just like God designed us to do it. Because when we have fear in us, we're, we're going to react. We're, we're going to be thinking, in most cases, to how do I get out? And we're going to be scrambling. By the way, just FYI, you see the exit? You go through that door, take a quick left, there's another door out of the building. And you go there. So if we ever do have an active shooter, again, asking God to never let that happen. That happens, 
And if I ever say in a serious way, run, <laughs> you're going through those doors. Women first. Just saying, men. But we were created. Now, a person who has a wrong understanding about the circumstances or situations in their life, who begin to think wrongly about that and continue to, continue to dwell on it, to build upon it, and then to carry it further and further and further and further, that will actually cause us to do what? To have fearful responses. We call that anxiety attacks. It's the metaphysical impacting the physical. And so we're able to destroy ourselves when we take control of what we think, our opinions on how we should respond. And of course, we destroy others. And we're, I'm not going to get into this because that's what the next few months are. But I want to just give you a couple points on that. And that says, first of all, in our words, we say to others, Again, this starts with the words in our minds. And we know the people who are going to frustrate us, so we're already thinking a day or two down the road how we're going to respond should, in fact, that person come into my life. And if they say this, I'm going to say, you know, we're all worked up. And we haven't even seen them for three days. We probably won't see them again for another week. I mean, so it starts with the words that we're saying to ourselves. And then also, we can draw people to ourselves or we can repel people from us. But understand this, Christians. If you repel people from you, you are repelling them from Christ. Because we are his representatives. We are to do life God's way, to represent Christ, to draw people to us so we can draw them to Christ. Again, we'll hit more in the coming weeks. The last one is this, that our words are inconsistent. If we're a Christian, we're inconsistent. He says that we bless God and then we curse those who are made in the image of God. We, we come to church on Sunday morning and just, God, you're awesome. We're singing these praises and we feel so good and we're re-energized and don't really care about the pastor, what he has to say, because that sometimes is convicting, but man, these songs are just so awesome. And I just, thank you, Lord. And then we walk out and we curse the people that we're around. We rip on the people that we think are kind of maybe strange in our church family, or we, we go to the restaurant and we're upset with the waitress or waiter, server, whatever we call them today. And that word curse means that we, the God that we, we praise and bless, we turn and ask him to hurt that person. Comes out of our mouths. It's inconsistent. Christians aren't to be doing that. Again, it's this, this forked tongue like the snake. Listen, all humans are equal in value to God. Therefore, as followers of Christ, all humans should be of equal value to us. How's that play out? Number one, if you're here this morning, and you are, you have value to God. So stop believing the lies. If you're here this morning, and you're, you're discouraged, and you're and depressed, and you're, 
and you're just really having wrestling with God and who God is and what God, all that. Listen, that's your flesh trying to keep control of your life. You have value to God. He died for you. He died so you have freedom and remove those thoughts and have his thoughts be put in. He's died for you so you can have power over that sin. In our relationships with others, the person that you can't stand the most, God says, is valuable to me. And you better see them as valuable. You who have received my forgiveness, and they most likely need my forgiveness. They have value. So they have value to you and to me as well. As Christ followers, we're responsible to follow Christ and respond as he's called us to respond. He says, this is not how it's supposed to be. He says, ought not. It's a, it's a strong negative that there is absolutely no place for this kind of response in our own hearts and minds and in our response to others in a Christian's life. This should not be a part of a Christian's life. It doesn't have to be because God's given us the ability to not have these things. It may take some time, you know, understand that. It's not going to happen overnight. It takes time, but that's also time you get to spend with God. And you get to know Him better. And you get to take steps of faith and see him answer those. And then you mess up and you go back to him, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And when our kids sin against us, they make mistakes. We don't, you know, we don't beat them in the rear end and tell them to get out of here. At least I hope we don't. We should be talking with them. Yes, discipline is necessary, but we should be talking with them and encouraging them and helping them understand. That's what God wants to do with us in his word. A fountain only gives out fresh water. A fig tree only produces figs. A grapevine only produces grapes. Salt water only produces salt water. Christians only bring life into their conversations, whether it's with themselves or with somebody else. Christians only bring life because that's what God has given us, life into how we think, what we think, and how we respond to others, the words that we say. It's an incredible blessing. And guys, listen, God says this can happen in our lives. I can't get into all the verses for it. Call me up this week, set up a time, and I'll sit down with you. Romans 12, 2 is the the best one that we can have our minds renewed, a passive God does to us. He remodels our thinking and then transforms our life. How we think is how we respond. God changes how we think. He'll change how we'll respond. But it starts with his word and it starts with filling up with it, putting off, and also at the same time putting on, not just putting off, but also putting on, taking on God's word. Well, as the band comes up, what are our takeaways this morning? Just got a couple of them. First one is, it's more of an individual, you know, kind of our own thinking here. Whose words or opinion do you dwell or build your life on? Are you building your life on what you think? 
Is your opinion greater than God's? Does God know less than you? Or are you building it on what God says? It's infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, one who created each one of us. Who are we building our life on? Whose opinions are we building our lives on? And secondly, who are you representing as you interact with others? As a Christian, who are you interacting as? Are you representing yourself and what you think and how people should respond to you? Or are you responding the way God wants you to? Are you representing Christ in your response to others? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're going to look at the next several weeks how that plays out as we interact with others. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close with this song.